Donald Miller tells a story in one of his books about a friend whose family was in some sort of little crisis. So he reached out to Donald and said, hey, could you come over and just help me figure out what I should do? So it turns out this guy who made the phone call, he's a dad and his uh, oldest kid was a teenage girl. And her behavior and everything had just kind of flip-flopped in, in a really short period of time. She'd been the kind of kid who did really well in school and who hung out with really positive kids, who was really involved in their church, you know, the kind of kid who was involved in their sports team, stuff like that. But in just a short period of time, all that changed. She started hanging out with a different group of kids. She, she got a boyfriend that dad wasn't too high on. Her grades went down. She lost interest in church. So the dad was just like, what do I do? How do I respond to this? And, and Donald Miller's listening to him. And, and then he says, okay, here's what I think you need to do. I think you need to give her a better story. And the dad's like, what? I mean, that wasn't all what he was expecting to hear. He thought he was going to have his friend come over and they were going to come up with a plan how to get rid of the boyfriend, right? You know, maybe make some rules about who you could hang out with and who you couldn't. Kind of come up with a plan that, that would change her behavior and get it back to the girl that he loved and knew. The idea of a better story, what's that all about? Well, Donald Miller explained that what had happened in this teenage girl's life is that she started to hang out with people who gave her a story that was more attractive, more appealing, a story that made sense out of her life. And as long as that was the story she was living in, then she was going to keep going down the same road that she was currently on. Well, the dad prayed about it, thought about it, and he goes, well, my daughter always had a heart for, for people who you know, don't have as many resources. So he looked and investigated uh, orphanages in Mexico. And he found an orphanage that he thought was doing really great work. And he started talking about it at dinner, took his family down and they, they met the kids and they helped build an orphanage. And then they came back and they started raising money for, to build another orphanage there. And the dad said, all of a sudden, he looked around and his daughter was back to the same person she'd been. Back to the good, positive group of friends, got rid of the boyfriend, church involvement back, school doing well. The power of a story to live your life. Your story shapes your purpose in life. Your, the story you live in helps you make sense out of your values and helps you understand what do I really think is important in life. The story you live in will define the successful life for you. It will help you make sense out of trials and hardships. See, what this teenage girl needed was not another lecture. She, did, she didn't need more instructions, and she sure didn't need more guilt from her family. What she needed was a story, a better story, one that would grab her heart and give her something bigger to live for, a, a story that would help her reorganize her principles so that she would know what was important, a, a story that, that shaped her values. That's what she needed from her dad. Well, what story are you living in? What story is making sense out of your life? Is it possible that like this girl, that you've exchanged God's best story for a lesser story that this world offers you? 
This morning we're continuing through our series in the book of Daniel. And, and when we left off at the end of Daniel 1, Daniel and his buddies had been forcibly removed from Jerusalem. And the Babylonian army had taken them to Babylon and plopped them down inside of a news story. And this new Babylonian story they were put inside of said, if you're going to thrive here in Babylon, then you've got to leave behind your antiquated religion. You've got to adopt a new set of beliefs. And to help them adopt the Babylonian story for their life, the, 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 the king took away the names of Daniel and his friends, the ones, the names that honored Yahweh, and instead gave them Babylonian names that honored the Babylonian gods. And then again, we saw in chapter one that, that the king enrolled Daniel and his friends in the Babylonian Leadership Academy. He was going to re-educate them in the story of Babylon, in the language, literature, and philosophy of this pagan nation. So, so how are Daniel and his friends, how are any of the Israelites going to persevere after they've been taken to their homeland and now they have to live out their faith in a world that doesn't know God? Does that sound familiar to you? Does that sound like a story that you can identify with? I mean, imagine the pressure that these guys were under. Imagine the pressure to conform to Babylonian values. I'm sure some of them did. I'm sure some of the Israelites found themselves in Babylon and said, look, Babylon's going to last. Babylon's here forever. So we might as well get on the right side of Babylon's values. We might as well get on the right side of history. I mean, when in Babylon, you surely live as the Babylonians. Well, if some accommodated themselves to the new Babylonian stories, others separated themselves from it. They tried to live in a story that said, what we should do is stay pure. What we should do is hunker down. Let's keep those pagan influences out there. Let's wait for God to rescue us. Daniel showed a different way. Daniel refused to accommodate, but he also refused to separate. Instead, he said, I'm going to live out my life in Babylon, but I'm going to live it as part of God's bigger story. See, this book of Daniel is incredibly relevant to you and me. It's incredibly relevant to every Christian living today. Because like Dave said last week, all of us live out our life in Babylon. Christians are citizens of heaven but we live out our life in a world that doesn't share our faith. So the same questions that, that Daniel and his friends were asking, we're asking. How do I persevere in my faith in a world that doesn't follow my faith? How do I resist conforming to the values of this current world? How do I survive as a, as a faithful Christian in a world that believes that Jesus is on the wrong side of history? Well, I'm just like that girl. I don't need another lecture. I don't even necessarily need more instructions. What, 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 what I need is a better story. I need something better to live for than what Babylon offers. Daniel 2 gives us the better story. It starts in verse 1. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar, that's the king, had dreams. His mind was troubled and he couldn't sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I've had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. 
See, Nebuchadnezzar was the king, but he still had to consolidate his power. He still had to kind of prove that he was worthy of this position. And so he, he's filled with insecurity and anxiety and fear. Now, now that's a really important point. Here's a, here's a king who's got everything. He's got power. He's got money. He's got everything. But he struggles with the very same things that the rest of us struggle with. It turns out that having all that power and having all that wealth doesn't address the issues of the human heart. Now, dreams are really, really big in Babylon. So if you have the same dream over and over again, the Babylonians think this could be a bad omen. They had stacks of books that the uh, wise men of Babylon would use to interpret dreams. So that's what uh, the king does. He says, okay, to all your wise men, you're going you're gonna to tell me my dream and explain it to me. Verse five. The king replied to the astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. You thought your boss was bad. Uh, but if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. See, Nebuchadnezzar is a little suspicious of his interpreters. I mean, do they really know what they're talking about? So he sets up a test to see if they're legit. And the test is this. You tell me my dream and tell me the interpretation. But all the wise men are like, we don't know what your dream was. We can't possibly do that. Well, Nebuchadnezzar is a man of his word. Well, if you won't tell me my dream, then all of you will die. Here's the problem. Nebuchadnezzar wants to kill all the wise men in Babylon, and that includes Daniel and his buddies since they've graduated from the Babylonian Leadership Academy. All right, verse 14. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. So here's a guy that's coming to, to kill Daniel and his buddies, and Daniel speaks to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Wisdom intact. Is that how Christians are known today? Is that, are Christians known for, for speaking to people who are against them, people who are attacking their faith, people who come from a completely different perspective and are hostile to their faith? Are Christians known as speaking with love and humility and graciousness and kindness? See, I think somehow, somewhere along the way, Christians gave themselves permission to fight fire with fire. To say, hey, if you're going to play political hardball, then we're going to play political hardball. If you're going to embarrass people, we're going to embarrass people. Whatever tactics the people that are against us, the people who, who, who disagree with us, whatever tactics they use, those tactics are fair game for us to use. Because you started it, and so we're just going to go and dive in too. But did God give us that permission? Or do we give ourselves that permission? Because when Daniel was under threat from a king, when Daniel had been forcibly taken out of his homeland, dumped into Babylon, taken his name away, enrolled in an academy filled with beliefs he didn't own himself, he didn't buy into himself. When he was, his life was under threat, when everything was against him, he didn't lash out, he didn't anger, he didn't stoop to their level. What he said was, I'm going to speak graciously, winsomely, with wisdom and tact. Maybe there's something for us to learn there. 
Maybe our world is probably not more hostile to Christians than Babylon was to Daniel. No. So what Daniel do? He gets his buddies, he prays, God give us wisdom, and then he says, okay, take me to the king. Let's see how it goes. Verse 26. The king asked Daniel, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. So very, very quickly, Daniel deflects attention away from him and puts the attention on God. He, God, has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. So, so catch this now. God, who spoke through the prophets, doesn't speak through Daniel here. Instead, he speaks through the dreams of a pagan king. Last week, we saw that Daniel said that he wouldn't eat the king's food. But that wasn't Daniel saying that he won't cooperate with the king. I mean, here he's going to interpret his dream. Daniel is always looking for common ground between him and the pagans he's living around. He's not going to accommodate, but he's not going to separate. He's not going to go all in on Babylon, but he's not going to hunker down and live over here. He's always going to walk this third way, this middle way of being in the world, but not of it. And so he's looking for ways that he can cooperate with the king, help the king, help the country, while still holding on to his faith. And so Daniel interprets the king's dream. First, he tells the king, though, what he dreamed. And he tells him, King, you dreamed of the statue. And, and this is an image that people have drawn of the statue that was in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. It, the head was gold, the uh, chest was silver, the waist was bronze, the legs were iron, and the feet were clay. So he says, look, king, you dreamt of this statue. And then this huge rock came out of nowhere and just blew this statue up. Just kind of rolled right over it. And, and, and so let's see Daniel say that in verse 34. Again, this is Daniel telling the king what's in his dream. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. So you can see why King Nebuchadnezzar was scared of this dream. I mean, if you had this dream over and over and over, this huge statue made of these different metals, and all of a sudden this rock comes out of nowhere and blows the whole thing up, you might be a little nervous too. And so Daniel says, look, king, here's the deal. That head, the gold head, that's you. You are the, the ruler of the world's superpower. But that rulership, your, your authority is a gift from God. Your position of leadership is a gift from God. And every other metal the silver, the, the, the bronze, the iron, they are all successive kingdoms that will come after you. And the, the clay feet, well, they, are, they show the weakness, the weakness of all human kingdoms. But what about that rock? What did that mean? Well, here's what Daniel tells him, verse 44. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people, it will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. 
The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. So this rock that comes out of nowhere, the rock that crushes all the other kingdoms, the rock that is made not of human hands, the rock that fills the earth, the rock that lasts forever, that rock symbolizes, signifies the kingdom of God. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. That means that Jesus' kingdom does not rest on human power. Jesus' kingdom, the rock, is the one that has come to conquer all other kingdoms and restore God's rule on earth. So what Daniel is doing is he's giving Nebuchadnezzar, he's giving you and me a theology of history. He's saying, look, king, right now you rule, and right now you reign, but after you will come another kingdom, and after that, another kingdom, and after that, another kingdom. Because you see, the only kingdom that lasts is the kingdom of God. The future belongs to God's kingdom. What, what Daniel is doing is telling King Nebuchadnezzar, a man who is very full of himself, that the king needed to see his life in light of its transience. The, the, the king needed to see his life in light of its brevity. He's saying to the king, look, you rule and reign now, but tomorrow you'll be gone. Your kingdom won't last forever because every human kingdom is built on clay. Every human kingdom is fragile. But there is a higher king, King Jesus. There is a greater kingdom, the kingdom of God. And he's putting Nebuchadnezzar on the spot. But, but more importantly, he's putting you and me on the spot. And he's asking us if we will live for King Jesus, if we will give our life to the kingdom of God. Because like Nebuchadnezzar, we are here today and gone tomorrow. Like him, our life is a vapor. It's like a, your breath on, on, on a cold day. It, it, it comes, you see it, and it goes, and the world remembers it no more. So if you are living your life for a breath, if you're living your life for the fog that will burn off by, the, by noon, you are wasting your life. If you're living your life building your career, if you're building your life for your family, if you're building your life to, to look good in the eyes of other people, if you're consumed with status, if you're, if you're consumed with wealth, if you're trying to live for retirement, if, if you're living for your hobbies, if you're living for sports, if you're living for high school drama, if you're living for anything other than God's kingdom, you are wasting your life. You're living for something that will be here today and gone tomorrow. If you're living to please the people in our culture today, if you're living to get on the right side of, of our culture, you will find yourself out of step with God. Put yourself in another place at another time. It's 800 BC. 800 BC. You're an Assyrian. You live in the middle of the Assyrian Empire. Assyria is the world's great superpower. They rule and reign over all the known world. And so as you look around, you say, Assyria is here forever. Assyria is going to last. Assyria is the future. I need to get on the right side of Assyrian values. I need to get on the right side of history. Until Babylon comes along. Because then led by King Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon defeats Assyria. Okay, now, now we're in the eternal kingdom. Now we're in the kingdom that will last forever. I need to get on the side of Babylon's values, on the side of the right side of Babylonian history. Except Babylon falls. Persia comes in and defeats them. Okay, I gotta get on the right side of Persian values. Of Pers but, but Persia falls, because Alexander the Great and Greece, they come in and they conquer Persia. And then after Greece comes Rome. 
Well, well, Rome is called the eternal city. Rome, the holy Roman empire. I mean, this is the empire that is going to last. It is also eternal. No, the, the Roman empire ended up in the dustbin of history. If you're trying to get on the right side of history of Rome, well, that was a huge mistake. You wasted your life. But it's not just the kingdoms that come and go. It's the philosophies that come and go. It's the trends that come and go. It's the cultural fads that come and go. I mean, even mom jeans were a thing, right? They even came back, right? I mean, they came, they left, and inexplicably they returned. It's like our world did not need the return of mom jeans, right? By the way, this is from the Saturday Night Live skit. If you have never seen it, uh, treat yourself today and watch it because it's great. Uh, but the fads, they come and go. My, my, my wife, a couple months ago, put on a fanny pack. And I looked at her like at the side, I like, woman, what are you doing? And she's like, oh no, these are back in. I, I don't care if they're back in or not. You look like a nerd in that thing. <laughs> I'm a man with opinions. I don't know what to tell you. So pray for her. Maybe that's the right response. So they come and go. In fact, we don't even, there's, they come and go so fast that we have to go back in history to find something to think is popular now because we rejected it in the past. And it'll just keep returning because the values change so quick. It, it all comes and goes so fast that, that we have to go back in history to find something we already rejected to find something to think is cool today. But don't you see that's the way it always works in this world. There's always a new kingdom, always a new fad, always a new set of values, always a new group of people in charge telling you what you should believe. But if you can step back and go, this is temporary, this will not last. It'll be here today and gone tomorrow, and so will I. It is easier to resist being sucked into that story. See, God is telling Daniel, but far more importantly to me right now, God is telling you and me, don't get caught up conforming to that which will not last. Don't get caught up trying to conform to the values of a kingdom that comes and goes because 10 or 50 or 100 years from now, what everybody thought was so important now and you had to get on the right side of history, it'll all be gone and there'll be something else. Here's the only thing you need to be sure of is get on the right side of Jesus because Jesus' kingdom wins. His is the kingdom of the rock. His the kingdom comes. His is the kingdom that fills the earth. His is the kingdom that lasts forever. See, before, b- before there was an iPhone, there was another kind of phone. I mean, yes, there were cell phones before iPhones, and they were Blackberries. And this is a picture of one of the original Blackberries. They were super popular. Everybody had to have one. All the important people had one. They were so popular and so addictive that they had the nickname Crackberries. And, and people were obsessed with them. Now, now, BlackBerry, they decided to go with a text-based system. Email, texting, but they weren't going to go images. They weren't going to go videos. They had opportunities. They said, no, that, we don't want to do that. Apple came along. Apple started doing video images. And BlackBerry made a tragic mistake. They said, no, we got a system. It works now. It'll work forever. Uh, so they went out of business, right? In about 2019, that which all the business people had, that which was, was super popular and addicting, they just had to shut down. But they had such devoted fans. I mean, it wasn't called the Crackberry for nothing. that They were like, please, just can you keep this system up? I know we can't buy new ones, but can you keep the system running for us? And, and they're like, well, okay, yeah, we can do that. But January of this year, 2022, January of this year, the system shut down and, and you can't operate your BlackBerry anymore. 
So the Wall Street Journal, they do an article on, on kind of the fading the, uh, of the BlackBerry and how it went out of business. And they interview a guy who was a, a devotee. Like, I mean, the guy loved his CrackBerry and he could never really quite part from it. And here's what they found out, that the guy had taken his uh, uh, Blackberries and he had put them in a picture frame in his lake house in New Jersey. <laughs> he put them in a picture frame. And these are newer models, of course, than the one I just showed you. But, 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 but here's what he said. He goes, I like to take my grandkids. I like to take my grandkids and show them these blackberries. I'm going to take my grandkids and show them the things that would seem so important at the time. And now either throw them away or you make them art. But you get the point, right? Because your iPhone is going to be in the same thing. Maybe it'll be your grandkids who put it in a lake house and put it and frame it and then tell their kids, well, this is what used to be so important. But it won't just be the iPhone, right? With this story, it tells you about your life. It'll be all the philosophies, all the kingdoms, all the values, all the trends of this world that we think are so important, but then they just end up in a museum somewhere. They end up in a history book. They end up on someone's wall in a frame. As we tell people, this is what happens to the things that people hold on to so tightly in this world. Don't waste your life living for a Blackberry. Don't waste your life living for an iPhone. Don't waste your life for the kingdoms that come and go. Don't try to get on the right side of this culture and get on the right side of Jesus and then you'll be always on the right side of history because he's the one who lasts. Let's pray. Jesus, some of us, maybe all of us, need to make a decision that we want to live for you and your kingdom. That we don't want to bow our knee to whatever the cultural fad is, the cultural values. We want to bow our knee to the one and only king King Jesus, and live for the kingdom that lasts. We want to be in this world, but not of it. Help us to live by the story of King Jesus in this world. It's in your name we pray. Amen.